Hello and welcome to At The Apex. My name is Matt and I'm your host. Today I have Ron O'Connor and today we're going to be talking about um, a few different things. Um, we're going to cover the LA Auto Show, um, some of the new cars that came out from that, um, who we are and why we're here, and uh, just what it's like being a car enthusiast in Saskatchewan, Canada. And then at the end we're going to just talk about some affordable sports cars that you know kind of get us going and and what we think might be the best one all right so um, let's get into this so like I said my name is Matt and I'll just start telling you a little bit about myself uh, I'm a huge Formula One fan I'm just gonna get that out there right now <laughs> and so we will be discussing some races throughout the season um, and I know the, the Formula One calendar just finished, so I'm kind of crushed about that. I have to wait four months before the next race. And um, so why are we here? Why am I doing this podcast? And, you know, it, it all comes down to I like talking about cars, and I know other people like talking about cars, and, you know, this is just a way for us to have a good, fun time talking about cars. So for me, I never really got into cars or the car scene until I was in my late teens. I lived a very sheltered life growing up, and uh, I got exposed to this in my high school years. Finally, in my late teens, I discovered Formula One, and that just kind of started the ball rolling. I got into the technology, got into racing, got into looking at how the technology rolled down into everyday cars and I started looking at supercars and yeah I just everything just exploded from my discovery of Formula One and today I've got Ryan O'Connor here and so I'll let him kinda talk about himself Hi Matt Hello Well I think one of the best parts about doing a podcast with you is We've spent so many times not recording what we talk about that this is basically just putting a mic in front of us and doing the same thing as normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, although I don't think I need to tell you that I'm not a huge fan of F1. So I'm sure we're going to have some really interesting discussions about that. Don't Maybe worry. you'll sway me by the end of this. We'll have to see. What really got me into cars and talking about cars is I did start autocrossing and racing when I was 16 and got me into the automotive trade and became a certified mechanic and then I just kept breaking my cars and I think it kind of started in that way which which probably led to my long history of owning a variety of different cars and most of the time for the purpose of autocross I don't think there's a single person out there who would argue that a an old 70s RX-7 is not a good daily driver but that's also probably half the reason why I had to fix my cars so often um, I also do have a great love of the technology that's really gone into it. Uh, I mean, I have a new 8.6, and learning all about how that direct injection works is something that absolutely amazes me. Going from an old carburetor to four injectors with direct injector uh, with a direct injection system that's similar to hybrid fuel mileage in some cases is is really interesting. So even having newer cars and transitioning to newer cars really got me interested in looking into different things that are coming out. Um, which I guess is a good segue into the LA Auto Show. Yeah, so the LA Auto Show just was last weekend, and you know there's lots of new SUVs that were coming out. You know, with the announcement that GM is shutting down a bunch of their North American plants to focus on SUVs, similar to what Ford had announced several months ago. Um, it makes sense that lots of brands are, are launching new or updated SUVs. Um, seems to be what people want. Um, so companies like Hyundai, Lexus, Kia, Lincoln, they all came out with new SUVs. Um, but some highlights for me, uh, one was the new Audi e-tron GT concept. Um, for me, this is the most exciting reveal, um, mostly because of the move towards electrification of the auto industry in the last few years and it seems like this is going to be a trend that continues especially with the strict um, fuel economy requirements coming um, especially in Europe 
So Audi's e-tron GT concept, it's a sedan. Um, it's got a 400 kilometer range or 284 miles. All wheel drive, 590 horsepower or 434 kilowatt um, power. And we'll do 0 to 100 in 3.5 seconds. Uh, the main competitor for this that Audi is trying to, to go up against is the, uh, the, the current king, the Tesla Model S. And um, the one interesting thing is that this particular car, the Audi e-tron GT, is sharing a lot of the same um, parts effectively. Uh, it's uh, the underpinnings are, are identical to what's coming in the new Porsche Taycan. That it's it's a, a new vehicle that Porsche has uh, launched, um, and I think it's going on sale in 2020. But here's my question for you, Matt. Do you think that this is a new trend we're entering of enthusiast sedans, sort of like when the WRX STIs and the Evos came about and their four-door sporty appeal that was different than anything we've seen before? Yeah, you know, uh, part of it, I think, is uh, people are seeing the performance benefits of, of an electric engine, uh, not an engine, electric motor, Um you know they they prove this in you know things like the 918 Spider, um, where they by adding the, those electric motors they were able to significantly boost performance and and it really moved electric away from people viewing it purely as um, you know just for fuel economy only. Um, Something more than just a hybrid assist system kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, it it people are like enthusiasts are being able to look at these electric vehicles nowadays, and say this isn't just a terrible car that has an electric engine and it just gets me from A to B. This can be a fun car that will do zero to sixty or zero to one hundred in like uh, supercar level numbers for. In, in a vehicle that, you know, isn't, you know, it, it's it's, a, it's like a family sedan, right? You can just go and comfortably drive around in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering where, what you think the futures is going to hold. I was looking at the new NSX. It's a hybrid electric. And now we're, we're, a lot of these companies are moving more towards the full electric vehicles. And it's hard to argue that that performance isn't going to outperform gasoline engines before we know it. And I'm just surprised that a lot of these companies are going straight to the four-door sedans. Well, I think it's it's they're trying to get into the mainstream. You know, people even though they're abandoning um, sedans left, right, and center here, and people are starting to um, focus on on purchasing SUVs. Uh, you know, it is an interesting idea that these companies are starting to manufacture electric sedans. But Tesla has proven that people buy them. And and in droves, like Tesla hit all kinds of um, production records with their Model Three. Um, so people want sedans, but they don't want the boring old sedans that people have been making. So I think that's why people are are jumping on the bandwagon around um, performance electric sedans, which eventually will become electric SUVs. Like let's not kid ourselves here. Um, so moving on, then the next vehicle that I wanted to just quickly talk about, and and it has been fairly um, publicized around the the LA Auto Show, and it, there's been a lot of hype around it, is the new Jeep Gladiator pickup truck. So it's based on the Wrangler, um, which if you see any pictures of it is apparent. It looks exactly like a Wrangler from the front, um, which is not a bad thing. I I personally like the look of a Wrangler. Um, so it, it's going to be a mid-size pickup, so it's going to compete things like the Tacoma, the Colorado, that that kind of um, level of, of vehicle. Um, and so it should be offering the, the class's best in towing rating of 7,650 pounds, which is quite a lot for a vehicle of that class. So... Um, 
some other things that they're hoping, or at least people are, are expecting the Gladiator to be, to, to be able to do since it's based on the Wranglers, it, is being able to really take it off-road and use it like they do a Wrangler. You know, being able to um, take it through a creek, you know, the Wrangler right now has 30 inches of water clearance. Like, you can drive it through a two-and-a-half-foot deep river and be perfectly fine. So hopefully they bring that in, in the production model. Um, yeah, so any thoughts on the on the new Gladiator? Well, and from what I've been reading about it, trying to follow the whole Wrangler idea has... Maybe correct me if I'm wrong here. The whole idea of the fold-down windshield, soft or hard tops, uh, like the doors can be removed to give you that whole open-air experience. Um, see, I'm not a big Jeep guy, but I know that's always kind of been the appeal of them. I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. If this is the angle they're trying to go with with this vehicle, sort of the the do-all Jeep experience kind of thing. Yeah, like I think so. I think because Jeep is doing so well um, for the FCA group that people are really attracted to to Jeeps, and um, they're trying to capitalize on that. But yeah, the, people like trucks. They people like Jeeps. It makes sense to make a Jeep pickup, and um, and and to to not abandon what Jeep is really all about. You know, Jeep's going back to the 40s. They had those re- removable doors, removable tops, things like that. And and people want that. It's it's part of what makes a Jeep a Jeep. So the next um, notable announcement for me was um, the new Mazda 3. Now, the Mazda 3 itself is... You know, a, a very popular uh, subcompact car. Um, you know, you see them everywhere. But and it's it's less about the car itself for me. The redesign is quite sleek. I personally like it. Um, it. It's a I wouldn't say it's a revolution, but it's definitely an evolution of their current design, um, keeping in line with the the redesigned. Um, you know, the new. CX-9, the CX-5, all those kinds of new redesigns that Mazda has been going through, that the new Mazda 3 follows that same design language. And, But the most important thing is that they have announced this with the new Skyactiv-X uh, Homogenous Charge Compression Ignition Engine, or HCCI. And, and what that is supposed to be doing is it, it's an evolution of that Skyactiv-X or Skyactive technology that they've been working on for so many years. And they they say that this particular one will give you a 20% fuel economy boost over the current Skyactive engine that they have in the current model. And at the same time, bumping up horsepower significantly um, and, and torque up as well. So, you know, I think Mazda is doing some really great things with, with the gasoline engines that, that they're producing these days. Well, I've been following the Mazda 3s as well. I'm just wondering if they're ever going to bring back the Mazda Speed 3. Looking at this redesign, it looks like it could could be, in its own essence, a Speed 3. But I know it's just that new modern styling. Yeah, you know what? The Because there has been a lot of focus on um, hot hatches and things like that, like the Focus RS... It did really well, but Focus uh, Ford decided to stop producing the Focus, so obviously that one died out. Um, but the Fiesta ST is doing really well globally. Um, even in North America, you see quite a few Fiesta STs around. Um, so I think there's definitely room in the market for that Mazda Speed 3 to come back. Um, but it's a matter of, is, is Mazda trying to focus on um, just you know, developing this high fuel efficiency engine or or is there room in the lineup for something that's more performance or, or enthusiast centered? Well and I think we both know, Matt, that it's that enthusiast that that halo car that doesn't really bring in the money to these companies. And something like that would be a specialty car. The Ford Focus R S was a specialty car. 
people didn't just go and pick them up from the dealerships because they just wanted a a four-door hatchback to drive around in. But I've always thought with the partnership that Mazda and Ford have always had, if they'd ever considered a crossover of that Ford Focus RS technology into a, a new Mazda Speed 3 or a, a Mazda Speed something, you know, the, the old Speed 3s were just front-wheel drive, and the Speed 6s had that all-wheel drive, but were the bigger, bulkier sedan. If there's ever going to be a... I've always kind of hoped for a happy medium of a an all-wheel drive Speed 3, maybe with some Ford Focus RS-infused technology, but I don't think we live in that, that same market anymore where people would be willing to put their money down on that. Yeah, I don't know if Mazda has that... Um... Like, I don't know if people view Mazda in the same way anymore. I think people are, you know, when you think of Mazda, at least to me nowadays, I think of a CX-5, I think of, you know, CX-7, which both are SUVs. Um, but personally, I, like, as an auto enthusiast, I would love to see a new Mazda Speed 3. They, I think they were great cars, They, but they Mazda didn't seem to want to continue it for whatever reason I, I i see quite a few of them and even now there's still some kicking around but yeah i, I don't know i'm hoping mazda decides to to put some money into to developing that but um, only time will tell on that one well i mean they have their miata and that's sort of there, there's minimal competition about that right now um, especially the new Miata RF, but I don't know if we'll see any, especially with all of the a lot of the domestic companies getting rid of their smaller vehicles and sticking to the crossovers and SUVs and trucks. I don't know what the uh, the future is going to hold for the enthusiast vehicle in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of enthusiasts, so let's move on to the last or my last notable announcement at the LA Auto Show was around the brand new 992 Porsche 911. So I know that Porsche 911 has been around for a very long time. And so this is the seventh generation of that vehicle. And what they did is they launched the new Carrera and the Carrera S. And it's replacing the 991 variant of, of the 911. And again, similar to the Mazda 3, it's not a revolution, but the 911 has never really um, gone boldly with their new, new, um, the new additions of it. It's it's just an evol- an evolution of the the previous generation. So it it's the the power is up by 30 horsepower in the the Carrera and the Carrera S um, to 444 horsepower from that flat-plane, six-cylinder, turbocharged engine. Um, and some other things that they've done is around the the styling. You know, the, the new Macan, the Cayenne, um, they've all got those redesigns lately, and the Panamera. So the, the, the design has followed those where with the solid light bar on the back, um, the new PDK2 transmission, the PDK has always been sort of the gold standard around double clutch gearboxes. So, um, you know, the fact that they're still working on improving that to, you know, from like ridiculously fast shifts to even faster in the PDK2. Um, that transmission already is in the new Panameras. So, you know, they've already had a bunch of world real world testing with it um, you know so that uh, hopefully some of those bugs have been worked out um, the the nice thing is this new transmission is is that apparently it's a bit smaller actually than the old one which is actually leaving room for potentially in the future they Porsche hasn't announced this yet but there there is physical space left inside of the engine bay because of the the reduction in the size of that new PDK2 to potentially put a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid into the 911 range in the future. Again, Porsche hasn't announced it. Everyone's speculating, but I think that that would be really, uh, really interesting. 
especially considering the discussion we had around that e-tron GT concept um, from Audi earlier. So, um, yeah, the new Carrera 4S uh, is supposed to get 31.7 mpg, um, which to me, I think of a 911, and I assume really awful fuel economy. The fact that they can pull 31 miles per gallon out of that is utterly ridiculous to me. Um, and starting prices around 129,000 Canadian. Um, will be starting deliveries, I believe, in second half of 2019. So are you meaning like a, a hybrid electric assist to improve fuel mileage, or are you meaning like an electric engine to improve horsepower on that, is what you're kind of predicting? Yeah, like I'm thinking it would be kind of a hybrid assist, where it can fill in some of the low-end torque gap that the turbo engine has. So yeah, the that that's kind of where I'm thinking they'll go. Um, you know what they did with the the 918 Spider. Basically, the turbo the turbocharged engine in that vehicle. You know the re, the the peak torque from the engine really didn't start until three or four thousand RPM. So they used those electric motors early on to to fill that torque gap because the electric engines the electric motors have that instant torque. Um, it just helps. Um, even out that that torque curve throughout the range. Well, and I think that's kind of the direction we're going in. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see an all-electric Porsche, but maybe this is just the next step. Maybe I'm just being naive, and we'll be there before we know it. Yeah, like that new Porsche Taycan, that is an all-electric vehicle, but yeah, it's it's definitely not something that is um, competing with their higher-end performance models like the 911. Porsche did announce they will never, ever, ever make an all-electric 911, although the rest of their range seems to be going towards all-electric. So, um, yeah, that it's interesting because I don't know how much longer they'll be able to sustain the 911 um, as, you know, one, naturally aspirated, but two, um, non-electrified. Well, and as a performance vehicle, it's going to... When there's four-door family sedans that are willing to compete with it, that 911 might... Maybe, you know what? Maybe we're going to go to an all-electric Cayman, and then that'll that'll be the day the Cayman surpasses the 911. Yeah, you never know. Um, that the yeah, I guess we're kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but that Cayman, you know, it, honestly, that's my favorite Porsche that they sell. Um, it's It's in that more affordable range for people it still has similar fun factor as a 911 um, and similar amenities so like you can't go wrong with it um, it, it doesn't follow it doesn't have that 911 heritage with it but um, yeah I, I personally I would prefer a, a Cayman over a like a Carrera any day well I know I'm taking this way off into the brush Matt but you know Looking at the differences between the two cars, I get the idea of the 911's got a lot of heritage, decades and decades back. But at what point do you say, you know what, a mid-engine versus a rear engine just makes more sense in terms of handling and balance. I mean, the Cayman eventually will have a long heritage, but I don't know if we'll ever give up that prestige of the 911. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I just wanted to move along here. So I just want to touch on what it's like to be a car enthusiast in Saskatchewan. Um, for those of you listening and have no idea where Saskatchewan is, it's kind of in the middle of, the, of Canada in the prairies. And um, yeah, so we have winter for about five months of the year. So that, that does put... a um, you know, a damper on how many nice, you know, modern supercars and things like that you would see. And there definitely isn't as many people with uh, enough money to be purchasing those types of vehicles around here, other than compared to other places in Canada or the U.S. You know, some of the, the highlights for me, anyways, are the... There are a lot of car shows, considering the relatively small population in Saskatchewan, there are a lot of car shows. Basically, throughout the summer months, there's 
some kind of a car show almost every week, and there's several really major ones throughout the season, um, like such as the Dragons Car Show or the Rock on the Two Show and Shine, and uh, yeah, those are are pretty massive with hundreds and hundreds of cars each. Um, and then there's a variety of car shows throughout the rest of Saskatchewan um, in smaller communities. You know, the the nice thing about this province is is people do band together. You know, we're we're geographically dispersed, um, so you know when people hear about a car show in Assiniboia or Regina or Saskatchewan or Saskatoon, people come to it from all over. So. Um, yeah, that's that's one thing I I do enjoy around here is is that uh, that culture of of let's support each other. Well, and I think it's sort of a provincial culture where you do have to travel around. If you live in Regina and there's a concert in Saskatoon, you're going to drive that two and a half hours to go and see it because that's just the norm here. Mm-hmm, exactly. So it's not too different to have to travel for a car show, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and and some of the cars you see around here, it, it, the car shows are typically um, dominated by older muscle cars. People around here seem to really take care of their their old Camaros, um, the old Challengers, those types of things. Um, you see quite a few really really well maintained older muscle cars. There's definitely a much smaller population that. Um, has has modern cars and and this is often dominated by cars something such as like civics integras focuses those kind of um you know enthusiast level entry level cars so um, i was going to say matt with our infinite winters you completely left out the horde of growing subarus that like to roam around all winter long. <laughs> yeah, the Subarus are definitely getting way more popular here. Um, I, I see the the STIs more now than I ever have. So, you know, that's actually kind of nice to see that um, people are still buying enthusiast cars around here, even with our um, challenging climate for, for sports cars. Um, you do see some other, you know, uh, sort of halo cars from from prior years, such as like the Toyota Supras, Skylines, things like that, um, that people have imported from Japan. And some of them are very very nice, and um, you know those those do typically end up at some of the car shows. So personally, I I prefer modern cars or more modern cars um, definitely from the 90s and, and 2000s and up so um, to see some of those cars in the car shows it, you know it, it is nice for me because it, it gives a little bit of variety from from just the old cars that you see there and around Saskatoon where I live um, like I said there's not a ton of high-end sports cars around but notably there are a few um, and because there aren't that many, you actually you notice them. You you're like, oh hey, that that was a really cool car that I drove by. Um, so there's there's a fellow that owns an NSX, a, a new NSX. There's a few 911s around, you know, some Carreras, some Turbo S's, things like that. Um, a few R8s. There's a Ferrari FF. And personally, I see this one several times a week, but it's a, a Maserati Gran Turismo. I know people are quite polarized on Maserati, um, their views on that brand, but the, the fact that it's got a Ferrari engine in it, it sounds amazing, um, accelerating away, it, and it looks amazing too. Personally, I love it. It's, um, it's a really sleek car, so... Um, you know, those are the highlights for me around Saskatoon. I know in Regina, there's there's you know some other car, um, you know, similar level sports cars. Um, and then there's there's some other ones sort of spattered around around the province. So I take it you're meaning by higher end, like those those exotic European cars. Because I mean, there are those higher end Japanese cars, but I I don't think you can you can max out the cost of a a 
high-end Japanese car, and you'll never come close to reaching the price of some of those exotics. Yeah, you know what? You see some some of those. Um, I think it's called the RC four hundred, the Lexus, the newer one. Um, I've seen a couple of those around, but I don't know. It's for me. It's it, it's not something that really turns my crank. I, I personally prefer those. Um, you know, German, Italian um, uh, sports cars, ex- exotics. Um, I, I love the new NSX. I know it's got a lot of flack over the, the last few years, um, but uh, personally, I love the look of it. Uh, it's it, it it's using that uh, the hybrid powertrain. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's worth the, the, the criticism it gets. Well, and I think... It goes a lot with brand image. People aren't going to look at a new Corvette the same way they're going to look at a new Ferrari because you also have those generations that had the old Cavaliers and Cobalts and Cruises, and you're going to look at that and go, oh, yeah, the the same company made this. But when you look at a Ferrari, it's just a Ferrari. There's no Cavalier equivalent of a Ferrari that brings the brand down. No. Like even Ferrari's entry-level Portofino. It's still an ins- like an incredible car. Um, the 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 one the car the California T that it replaced it got a lot of criticism, but the, that new Portofino, it's just incredible in every way. Um, you see reviews on it online, and and people just can't stop raving about it. And that's their entry level car. You know, and then well, you I get, think that's what. Well, and then you get into things like the the eight twelve super fast. Um, you know, and, and 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 you know, you get into that. Um, you know that that's the sort of ultra exotic, I guess, not hypercar level, um, like a Koenigsegg or something. But you're getting into that that level where you you won't see those around in places like Saskatchewan, um, just because there's people. The people aren't around here aren't going to be spending five hundred thousand and plus on the on a car. Well, and I mean it's just the practicality of it too. People do need to haul things and other people, so you're not going to go and buy a two seater sports car to rip around in just because. Yeah, for sure. Like you definitely see a lot of Corvettes around here, which which do fit that bill. But um, you know, spending a hundred thousand versus 500,000 is very different um, you know yeah. and, and for I'm going to say similar levels of performance you know when you get into that uh, like the ZL1 or ZR1 level um, trims of, of the Corvette so you mentioned that you like to do autocrossing so um, you know can you talk about some of the um, opportunities people have for going racing around Saskatchewan well, actually, I was just going to segue into that. Um, way back in the day when I first started autocrossing, Saskatoon had a club. Uh, I believe it was called the Saskatoon Sports Car Club. And Regina had a club, the Queen City Motorsports Association. And I think it's only the Queen City Motorsports Association that actually runs auto club events that have points that count towards regional events. But there's still tons of other clubs around Saskatchewan that will offer sort of that autocrossing experience. You can go out to the BMW Club and they rent out the Three Flags track, the Corvette Club, and you're not necessarily limited to that brand of car. Mm-hmm. I think you still have to register with their club and be a member and whatever else. Um, but then they have driver training or uh, events that you can go out and participate in. And depending on the level you want to compete at, it's, I mean, if you want to go out and just get the experience, it's great. Um, But if you ever really want to move forward into things like time trialing or anything more serious, you sort of have to join those clubs like the Queen City Motorsports Association or if you even want to travel to the Winnipeg Sports Car Club to get that that licensing and and earn the points towards that. It's it's two very different levels, but there are lots of opportunities. Um, For those of you who are listening that aren't familiar the Three Flags Motorsports Park used to be an old go-kart track that was purchased and expanded. The track was widened, bigger clubhouse built, different amenities. And you can go out and you can race your car out there. And in a lot of cases, it's probably cheaper than even going and getting into go-karting if you really want to think about it. 
You can take a streetcar, as long as it's safe, not filled with junk, has decent tires on it, you can go out and get that experience of ripping around the track for under $50 a day. Loaner helmets are available, and if you really want to start getting into it, going and buying your own for a couple hundred dollars. I mean, aside from that, pretty much all Saskatchewan has, being as flat as we are, is an infinite amount of drag racing opportunities, whether it be legitimate or not. And I'm not encouraging anything illegitimate, but I mean, we have the Saskatchewan International Raceway, uh, different clubs around Saskatchewan use airport strips for drag racing, whether it would be quarter mile, eighth mile, and then everyone's old favorite of oval track is, I mean, you could find an oval track pretty much anywhere you go. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's lots that, of options. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're right. There are lots of different options around here. Um, on the small scale, um, like you said, the Saskatchewan International Raceway or SIR, it um, it does host NHRA events, so it, that is a, a full size drag strip. But if you're into autocrossing and and want to go go onto a full size circuit, um, you know, like you see on TV, racing, you know, at Silverstone or um, you know any of those those famous tracks. If you want to get into anything even close to that, you you have to travel a long distance. Um, like there's tracks in, in Calgary and Calgary, Alberta, and, and Gimli, Manitoba. Um, but really, within five six hours of driving, those are really your only two options. Yeah, you don't. Uh, it, Saskatchewan's not. It doesn't seem like it's really supporting anything bigger than that. And then maybe it's just that we don't have the demographic to support it and the population to support it. But if people are willing to travel, I don't see why that it couldn't become an option here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely enough land uh, available. You know, uh, there's land always for sale around cities, so it's just a matter for someone to actually put up that capital to, to start building a racetrack. Well, I know at Gimli there was an old airstrip that was converted into it, and it's still used for some training and other things like that, but even just having that foundation would be beneficial as compared to breaking ground and starting new. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I don't know if that's at, something uh, we'll see. Yeah, you look at like the UK, um, and almost all of their racetracks, including Silverstone, used to be World War II air bases that after the war were abandoned and and people needed to figure out what to do with them. Okay, so, um, you know, I just want to move on to our, our final topic here is, um, you know, because there's not that many opportunities to see sort of exotic level cars, um, there are lots of good opportunities um, to purchase affordable sports cars that are still, the fun factor is still really high, but the the depreciation has um, kind of done its thing, and, and you can get into these cars at a really affordable price. So, um, yeah, like there's there's definitely lots of different options in this in this range. Um, but Ryan, I, I think you had some, some ones you wanted to mention. Well, I know you've been looking around at some cars, and I know that you've kind of got a specific idea you're looking at. And I'm not trying to totally play to that, but I want to bounce some ideas off you with this. So I know off-air, you and I have talked about a 350Z, and I know maybe a 300's a little, a little too old for most people, especially with the twin turbo. It's getting beat up. The maintenance on that would be sometimes atrocious. You're taking a huge risk with a car that old, mm-hmm. but you are getting a Japanese classic. Like, you're getting a twin-turbo 3-liter V6. Mm-hmm. But, on the other hand, the 350Z is more modern, easier to work on, probably a whole lot less of a headache. It's newer, and in a lot of cases, you'll probably be able to find that as a manual, whereas the twin-turbo models of the 300s or the Fair Ladies, generally, I've only ever seen them as an automatic. I mean, you can find the rare 5-speed manual here and there, but, uh, I mean, that's that's all personal preference. Mm-hmm. One thing, here's an idea I wanted to run past you. Now, I know you're not a big fan of rotaries, and I've I've been there, done that sort of thing, but with the cost of these now, the, the RX-8s, discontinued, almost every single one needs an engine, for the cost of buying it and a full rebuild, 
for easily under ten grand, you could have essentially a brand new RX-8, zero kilometers ready to go. Yeah, that's um, it's an interesting option. Um, you know, people beat up on the RX-8 a lot because the RX-7 had such legendary status. Um, you know, I think the RX-8 was actually it had a lot of good roots, a, a lot of good. Um, like the base of it was really good. Um, so if you could rebuild that motor and just bump the power up a little bit, um, but still maintaining the reliability, which in the rotary is, is not great to start with, but um, you know if you could make keep the reliability, reliability but bump up the power a little bit, I think that that would be a really fun, affordable car. Um, just to just to have fun in. Well, and that's why I put that one on the table. There is I feel like it's sort of the underdog of all of this. You're always just going to see them broken and beaten, and people selling them for a few thousand dollars in a lot of cases. But I feel like if you were to start fresh and do the proper maintenance and own it, I think it would be be something that most people wouldn't consider. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something that a lot of people want to undertake? Maybe, maybe not, but. I thought it was kind of the curveball I wanted to throw at you about that. Uh, another one, just kind of taking another turn here, is the Lexus IS300. Yeah, so, with the the it it shares that uh, legendary 2JZ engine out of the Toyota Supra. So I think that that has a lot of um, people really like that. If you're if you're an enthusiast and know anything about engines, that I I know that's something that often comes up when I when we talk about this car. Although I think a lot of people would be into it for the name of it, like the idea of a 2JZ, but not... They would expect the same thing from the Supra, the twin turbo and that sort of power or that sort of potential. But I think the the IS300 leaves you a little bit empty. I think if you were willing to work on it and modify it, that would give you a lot to do. But just as a car itself, it's still a great car. You still have the practicality of a four-door um, you have the option of a six-speed manual. You still have an inline-six. I'm not saying you're not getting good power out of it. Um, but going from a, a two-door twin-turbo car to a four-door naturally aspirated, I think people's expectations are different. But at the same time, if you're just wanting to get into an affordable sports car, I think that's a great way to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, like that 2JZ engine, it's it's proven to be bulletproof. Um, it's proven that you can modify the crap out of it, and it just maintains that Toyota and Lexus reliability. Um, and like you said, the IS300 is a great car. It's got good handling. It's practical. It's a four-door family sedan, um, and you can get that six-speed manual. So yeah, like there's a lot of great points around that car. Um, one thing, one one that I wanted to throw out there is around the Miata. The Miata is, is a classic. You you can't go wrong with the fun factor around the Miata. And, and yeah, I agree the, with you the there. Soft and hard top options. You know, you can um, you can literally go and lift that hard top off all by yourself, and and you know that that's got to be on the near the top of your list when you're talking about affordable, fun sports cars. No, um, I think the only downside you'd have running into a Miata is that limit of having the two-seater and the limited cargo space. When people are sort of... like, Not that I disagree at all. And having owned a Miata, I would definitely own one again. I just think in terms of practicality, if you're looking for something that's going to kind of be the do-all car and still be a sports car, people might be deterred by that just because of how few things you can carry and how how few people you can have in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two-seater um, with extremely limited cargo capacity is, is something that would really turn me off. Um, but the fun factor, you can't deny it. Like, everyone just raves about how much of a hoot it is to, to, to drive around. So, yeah, personally, um, yeah, if there could be a little bit more practicality around Miata, that would definitely be at the top of my list. Well, and see, and I think that's why I would, I would choose a Miata over something like a 350Z. I'm not saying a 350Z isn't great. I I love them; they're great cars. 
but you're still limited by the two-seater, you're limited by the space. And, I mean, you get more power in the 350 than you ever would in a Miata, but it's the same kind of idea. If you ever wanted to do anything more with it, you're kind of stuck. Yeah. So, I, which is probably why things like Subaru, STIs, and Mitsubishi Lancer Evolutions are are kind of becoming more popular, or have become more popular. It's, it's a four-door sedan that has all-wheel drive and is turbocharged, and it just checks all those boxes. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're talking affordable, that might not also be the case. It seems like an STI doesn't really like to depreciate too much. Well, and you have to consider purchase price versus um, you know running cost. Um, things like a, a Subaru STI... Um, you might be able to f- find some, you know, reasonably priced ones to to purchase, but you know, maintenance costs and fuel and um, you know all that can really add up. And and the fact that because those turbos are are so highly strong in the in the STIs, like they're known to blow up. So needing to do um, you know put new turbos in, engine rebuilds, um, people just you know drive drive these cars and just um, you know buying a second hand modified Subaru STI or a WRX um, you're always taking a risk but you know, the, again it's kind of like the Miata, the fun factor is, is insanely high they make incredible exhaust notes and, um, and, and there's all the practicality around the four wheel drive the or the all wheel drive rather the four doors, the you know the good trunk space, yeah, like there's so many good points around around those cars, but the only thing that's ever turned me away from it is, is that um, reliability of those turbos. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there, and yeah, like you said before, just the general abuse of the car. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to go and buy an STI just to go pick up groceries every Sunday, whereas no. you might find a a Civic Si or something along those lines that somebody bought and hasn't abused yet. Yeah. So um, do you have any more on your list that we want to talk about? And I think we should pick one, um, you know, put, that we would put at the top of our list out of out of these options. No, I didn't have anything else prepared for tonight. I'm sure I'll have some more suggestions for you along the way. Hmm. I'm sure I'm going to try and convince you to buy one of these one of these days. Hmm. So out of the those options, so we had the Nissan 350Z, the Nissan 300ZX, the Lexus IS300, the Miata, and uh, you know then there's the the um, RX8, and also the WRX or the STI. Um, out of those six, which one, if you had to choose today, and buy one? Which one would you well, if pick? We're, if we're setting a limit of around ten grand, if I were to go out and do this today, ten grand, burning a hole in my pocket, had to spend it, I would probably go out and find myself a clean RX-8, yet in need of engine work or uh, an engine rebuild, and start fresh. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you maintained it properly, you really wouldn't have those reliability issues. It's the same sort of idea as the STIs. If somebody's bought it and beat it down and hasn't taken care of it, the only difference is where the STI is unreliable, the RX-8 is extremely unreliable. You're going to run into a lot more issues with an RX-8 than you ever will with an STI. But if you take the time to take care of it and you're starting fresh with it, I think you can get a better deal of a sports car going that way. Plus, you have the option now with the RX-8 of having those suicide doors in kind of a back seat and kind of storage space you can you have that car haul uh, the the people hauler you have the ability to carry stuff but you still have a fun high revving and potentially reliable sports car depending on how you take care of it kind of get the whole package in there for potentially cheaper than any of those other vehicles Mm -hmm. um and my choice you know this is a tough one um you know personally i i absolutely love the STI, um, you know, I've, I've lusted over them for years, but never, never been able to bring myself to buy one. Um, but you know what? If I was to have to choose out of these six options, um, 
I think I'd go with the IS300 because of that, um, you know, you've got the Toyota build quality, you've got the, the 2JZ engine, which um, you can, there's there's lots of kits out there for turboing them. Um, and you have the, the rear wheel drive that's, um, you know, and, and the six-speed manual that you just can't deny is, is what people are, are after for fun factor. And, um, and you still get the practicality. I guess I should have mentioned before, so I guess we're assuming that we're not talking about a, a JDM Altezza with no, the four-cylinder? No, 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 just, uh, just the ones you'd see around town. Yeah, just like North American models. You know, you do have a good argument. I do. I can't appreciate that. Um, you know, the RX-8 is a great choice, though, because, like, you, I think it revs to, like, nine or 10,000. Like, that's unheard of in lots of other cars um, outside of things like the Honda S- S2000 or some exotics. Um, like, just to hear that, that wail of, of nine or 10,000 RPM is, um, you know, it's just glorious. You know, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but before next time, I think we should look into which would actually have better fuel mileage. A straight six, two JZ naturally aspirated, or a 13B Renesis engine. I'm very curious, because that might sway me one way or the other right now. So for our next debate, I might have to look into that. Yeah, for the people that don't, that don't know that the 13B is the engine that's in the RX-8, that rotary, um, which is notorious for having awful fuel economy. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. I'm going to yeah. look this up. You you may have swayed me to the IS300 on that fact alone. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, thanks a lot, Ryan. You know, um, this is our first podcast, and uh, you know, I really do appreciate you coming on today. And I, I look forward to talking to you some more in the future. And for everyone out there who, if you have an idea for us to, to talk about, please, please let us know. Um, we'll try our best to, to include it in an upcoming podcast. Uh, you can reach out to us at um, contact at, at the apex.ca. And uh, I'll get back to you. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And, and I'll see you next time at the Apex.